Welcome to The Nature Photographer on Wild and Exposed, your source for the behind-the-scenes secrets of today's top photographers working in wildlife, conservation, and fine arts. The Nature Photographer is produced in collaboration with NANPA, the North American Nature Photography Association. Thanks for joining us. So welcome to the latest episode of the Nature Photographer podcast brought to you by NAMPA and Wild and Exposed. I'm Don Wilson, your NAMPA host, here with Michael Morrow and Mark Raycroft from Wild and Exposed, along with our guest, Christina Schief. So I wanted to see what everybody's been kind of doing and up to these days. Um, I think everybody's still staying pretty busy, even considering the world we're in. What's going on in your world, Mike? You know, it's just winter in Colorado, so it's a lot of computer stuff. I think that's going to be everybody's story, right? Everybody's working on the computer. I watch a huge amount of YouTube. <laughs> Mark can testify to that. I send him a link a day. Hey, you should watch this. Hey, you should do this. Hey, you could look th- look at this. <laughs> so that's that's my world. I wish I had more time to do those types of things. It's I have a long list of things and things that I keep opening. And I'll get back to it or I'll watch it before bed or read something before bed and I wind up sitting up working. I'm actually working on my website right now. So a lot of cleaning up and rewriting and re- reformatting and exciting things. Just like you said, winter work. What about you, Mark? Well, it's year end for my business, but also for so many of the animals I photograph with their antlers popping off their heads this time of year. So it's a narrow window to try and capture that when they drop. You know, we're looking at usually within 24 hours. Sometimes it takes three or four days. So for white-tailed deer, that's happening right now. So I'm places that I travel to to photograph them. I'm trying to catch that rare opportunity to complete that story. It's exciting to find it. Kind of, kind of sad at the same time. But it starts a whole new year, and we had an amazing adventure. It was a few weeks ago now to Algonquin Park after a fresh snowfall, winter wonderland, and had some great moose encounters that day in Pine Martins. And on the to-do list, there we have a world-renowned owl location not too far from us that I would like to go and just spend an evening and check it out and do some sightseeing, maybe some photography. I'd love to get cute little saw wet in a cedar tree kind of fun outing experience, but similar to you guys, same kind of thing. It's editing season fall was despite the lack of travel you know a lot of a lot of productivity and it's a matter of editing that stuff to keep this business moving ahead mm. i hear you there so have you ever mark have you ever actually caught antlers in midair no no you know it's so hard to even see that so in 25 years i think i've observed it three times where i've seen it happen never photographed it you know it's a it's a great completion to the story to find an animal with one antler to be able to photograph it where they turn their head a bit. You can see the exposed pedestals to tell the story while they still have the other antler on. So that's really the one I try to get. And I, you know, there was a fellow who had, I saw on YouTube, I, yes, on YouTube (laughs) this week who caught one on his trail camera video of the buck shaking his head in the camera and the antler going pew off to the side. I'm like, what are the odds of that? That's like, I I hope he went and bought a lottery ticket that afternoon. <laughs> I had one, I've been doing the same thing, but with elk I had, and I was actually sitting there watching an elk one morning and I hadn't seen the behavior before. And, you know, we've always talked about behavior and how important it is. And if you understand behavior, you can't anticipate what's coming. And I'm watching this. I had been photographing them. 
he had both antlers and I'm like, what is he doing? And he was, you know, rocking his head back and forth and he was kind of scratching and kicking and, but there wasn't anything around him that, that I could tell was going to, um, kind of agitate him. And even though I, I knew it was antler dropping season, I, it didn't connect. And all of a sudden he whipped his head up and off went the antler. And I went, ah, I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, no, no, no. So I have been obsessed with, that was four years ago now I've been obsessed that like every year I go out for about five weeks when the elk are dropping their antlers and yep same thing I was once I was back in the woods with an elk who had one dropped already and it's kind of a long story but um the I knew the other one was getting ready to go and I was kind of borderline and you know kind of on private property so I was Somebody came by and I kind of backed down to hide behind a tree. And as I did that, I heard the other one go off. So I'm like, ah, I missed it again. (laughs) And then last year, the only time I got even close to the timing, um, the elk was hurt. So I decided it wasn't, I wanted to kind of just let him go. He was limping a little bit and I didn't want to stress him out anymore. But so I didn't worry about that one, but I'll try again this year. (laughs) It's a funny behavior. You you know, you don't know what the, the first time you see it. You're right. They shake their head a bit. And then they, what I've seen is they often take two or three steps backward. It's like they're trying to back out of their headgear and shake their head. And some of them pop them and then go for a run. Like it's woo freedom or what just happened and kind of freak out. And I've never really seen them come back to check them out either, but they'll go for a run. Other ones just, it falls off and they just keep Mm. walking at different personalities, I guess. But yeah, timing, you almost in that situation, I have to be so lucky. Not, that yeah. would be, yeah, to get a photograph that's sharp with an antler midair. I think I've seen it on Instagram. There was somebody who had elk um, somewhere in the last couple of years on Instagram with antlers in the air around it. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah. So how different is the timing, though? Because if you're talking, to, you're still gone in Louisiana for a while, right, Don? So what time of year are you looking at? February, March? And Mark, you're March. looking at January, it's- February. So caribou and moose are, uh, for the most part, December. White-tailed deer are late December through January. They can carry through February. Younger animals can carry longer. But for the most part, you know, mid to late January. And elk, for some reason, are longer, which is so crazy impressive. You think of moose and caribou that grow, they all grow their antlers every year. So moose and caribou drop them early. They have these big headgear that they have to regrow in a matter of a few months in the spring but elk wait and wait and wait and it's like march and they fall off yeah it starts right around the middle of march and yeah the the older ones the bigger ones seem to go first and then you know progressively the antlers will get smaller and smaller that drop off um but yeah till about the middle of april is about the latest i've seen i mean unless you're gonna wait for spikes or something but yeah, it's about a, yeah that four four to five week window starting somewhere around March tenth, March fifteenth. They have no rest. I mean, their their new pedestal starts to emerge in a couple of weeks, whereas you know moose and caribou and even deer, you know, have have a much longer period of time with a flat flat skull there. But elk, yeah, they fire it's right am- back up. It yeah. is amazing. You watch the elk. I it, you and because I have elk, I mean, literally outside my door where I live, it's you can watch the same elk day after day for at least in the beginning, because it's, it's that much more prominent because it's not spreading, but that, you know, they grow about an inch a day. And when it's just coming out of the uh, the pedestal that way, it's, you can, you feel like you're actually seeing it day to day, how, how much it's growing. It's crazy. 
another thing to look forward to in the spring of 2021, right? We're yes. going to have so many things to hopefully look forward to this year. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. So, so we've been talking about all these big mammals and today we have Christina. Christina is a, uh, she is an AMPA member. Um, she does a lot of photography with Grebes and I'm really, really kind of curious about, I had come across the fact that people call her the Grebe lady. So, and the Grebe whisperer. So I'm really kind of curious to see where that's all stemmed from. So, so I want to welcome Christina. I know she and I were actually trying to get together in California this year, but you know, obviously with everything with coronavirus, things have kind of changed. So we're doing, we're doing this via the computer instead of in person, but we'll get together. We'll, we'll get out there in the field. So, so welcome Christina. I'm, I'm pretty hey, excited to talk to you about grebes and birds and some of your, your tours around the world. So, um, so yeah, so why don't we start off with that? Why do people call you the grebe whisperer? Good one. So those of you who don't know Greaves or what they are, I don't know if you looked it up, Mark and Michael. What the, what are we talking about? <laughs> They're these crazy birds, wild birds that uh, walk on water to impress each other. You know, I always um, I always say that as humans, I think we have it way too easy when you're single. You're like, yeah, go go out for dinner, maybe watch a movie. Where in the world of Greaves, you know, one looks at the other and says, dinner? Yeah, thanks. Can you walk on water? No? Mm -hmm. ah, I don't think I'm going out with you. So they're fascinating birds, and I got really, really into them about six years ago, just studying them. It fascinated me, and their courtship is crazy elaborate. This walking on water that they call the rushing, it's only like one step, and they have seven more steps that they have to do before they actually settle down on a nest. So studying them, it's a lot of vocalization for the behavior, and the, the rushing is like the behavior that all the photographers want to, obviously, who doesn't want to see two birds walk on water? So... But usually it's very short. It's about five to seven seconds. So by the time you see it and you're like, oh, it was over there, you're too late to get a photo. Studying the birds, you get to know their behavior. Same as for your elks, I guess, shaking their heads, right? And you're like, oh, I know what's coming. Well, with the grebes, it's all sound. I can pick up the sound, the, the sound they make before rushing across the lake. And usually I just look at the photographers and say, okay, 11 o'clock. Point your camera where just point the camera trust me they're they're gonna do it poof off they go so people kind of look at me they're like holy cow how did you do that i'm like yeah well that's why you're out here with me so <laughs> studying the bird you know the behavior so people studied bird festival i do the san diego bird festival i do workshops and usually the birders are like great lady i'm like that's cool i like that <laughs> Professional photographers, more like the greed master or the greed whisperer. I mean, I'm not really talking to them, but um, I do knowing the behavior, it really helps. So that's why people, I guess, get me. For I always say you can drive the boat on your own, but knowing where and when and get ready for it, I can help you with that. So that, that's where it came from. <laughs> so do you photograph yep. greaves all over the place or do you pretty much specialize in uh -huh. California? Good question. So there are actually a couple um, a couple areas in the country that you can see this. Uh, there's a lake up in Oregon. Uh, Northern California has a lake. I went to photograph nesting greaves this year in San Luis Obispo County, which is central California. Lake Hodges down here has about 700 of these birds. So your chances of in the winter when they're courting 
your chances are pretty high that you know you go out there a day or two obviously more days are better but um, you have a better chance to actually get photos and once you get two now you want three now you want them going to the right you want them going to the left you want to force them maybe five birds it happens you just you know so there's there's several species of grebes, right? So you got pie-bill grebes, eared grebes. So do they all do this sort of behavior, or is it just certain? No. We're talking about specifically about Western and Clark's grebes. Now, a long time ago, I want to say 20 years ago, they were considered grebe. They're like, okay, there is a difference between the two, obviously, visual and behavior. And then... Um, People realize the biologists that oh they are a little different and they don't intermingle. Well, they don't, but they do. So what happens like on this lake in Hodges, we have mostly Western. It's about 75% Western and 25% Clark. And then once in a while you get like a, a mating pair or pair rushing, and you're like, hold on, there's one Western and one Clark. Christina, you told me they don't intermingle. I'm like, they don't, but it's like dating, right? When you ran out of options <laughs> towards, the end of, towards the end of courtship season, the poor Clark is like, well, all the Clarks are taken because there's less of them. Fine. I'll go out with the Western boy, whatever. <laughs> so kind, of like a two, kind of like 2 a.m. in the bar. It's kind of what's what's left over. <laughs> what's left over, right? Yeah. And they will have chicks that are, look a little weird. You can tell from, you can tell looking at the chicks that the parents were one of each. So, yep. so you mentioned down here. Where exactly is down here? Thank you. Down here. Yeah. I should get location here. San Diego. So I'm in San Diego County, uh, North San Diego County. Lake Hodges is in a town called Escondido. Won't tell you much, but um, it's North North San Diego County near the Safari Park uh, up north, 78th and 15th Freeway. It's a pretty big lake. Uh, there are other spots around the county and actually Orange County up in um, Irvine. They have a few. They have about 30 grebes on this um, uh, marsh, San Joaquin Wildlife uh, Marsh. And uh, 30 is not bad. Six, seven hundred, yeah, it's a little better, <laughs> right? And they used to be migratory a while ago. They would come in for the winter, but I think these birds are awfully smart. They figured out, man, California weather is not that bad. Like a lot of so, people have. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they moved in. Yep. And I've been, I've been following them and photographing them and observing and studying them for about six years now. Fun. I know. I know, it's especially when you come home and you can hear them, your dream with them. You're like, okay, yeah, maybe I have an addiction. <laughs> well, and there's a lot more interest to the grebes too, besides just the courtship behavior too, right? Because when you get the little babies or you get, what do they call them, chicks or chicks, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah so Dogs. they ride on the back a lot like a loon does. And it's a, you know, and yep. don't, some of them have the floating nests too, right? Do the Westerns do the floating nests? Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They do floating nest nesting when it's uh, not every year. You know, you, you do have sadly in California, we do have a lot of problem with drought. So no, not much rain. So whenever the lake is not, the levels are not proper. The the grebes will nest, and which just happens. They don't nest every year, but when they do, I mean, you thought 
the bird walking on water was cool and cute. And then come the little chicks because the both parents, the moment they're born, they get on the parents' backs and that's why they carry them. Both parents take turns. It's the, the, the dads are pretty cool too. And they carry and they feed them and they're drop them off. And then the other parent picks them up. And then, uh, then the chicks kind of grow up and uh, just like humans, they're still sticking around at home and they get on the parents' back and the poor parent just goes, Oh gosh, get off of me. <laughs> You're too big for this. Nope. <laughs> I have some fun photos of the chicks catching a ride and it's falling all over the place. It's like, it doesn't fit anymore, but. So there's got to be a lot of other species too, like coots and I mean, just all kinds of different things that you're photographing on that same body of water, right? Oh, yeah. So we get about around Lake Hodges in the winter because that's when our migratory, a lot of migratory birds come in. So with the local and migratory, any given day, you can clock in 75 species in three hours in no time. We have about 200 birds and mammals and snakes and whatnot in the winter so it's a quite uh it's actually lake hodges itself which is very interesting there's a little tiny bird called the california neckcatcher that a while ago became endangered and that little bird put lake hodges on the map meaning it became a important a globally important birding area and it was uh with the help of the uh, palomar autobahn and the San Diego River Park that manages all the trails around the Hodges. The, the lake itself, it's owned by the city of San Diego. It's a reservoir, so you can't swim in it, but you can boat um, in certain months of the year. Otherwise, we're just on the shore, but it's a, it's a big lake. You're talking 27-mile shoreline. It's not a small pond, so. But there are other, other spots in San Diego, so. Do you find that the those birds are hanging in like little like bay. I don't even know what you call it, a bay or like a little protected area more so. And that's easier to access or. Yeah. The greaves or just in general. You mean? Yeah. 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 They, uh, the greaves actually live in colonies. So you're talking a couple hundred birds in a colony. There's different, they're spread all over like this lake. And then uh, including like right now we have hundreds, if not a thousand of uh, Northern shovelers in, uh, they're migratory, and we have about 50, 60 pelicans, white pelicans. We don't get them year-round. They come for the winter. Um, and, yeah, they, they hang in different parts of the lake. The lake itself is in a bit of a, like, a dip, a little valley-type thing. There's mountains around. Mountains. I shouldn't say mountains. <laughs> we don't have mountains here. Hills. <laughs> little cute hills. So, Yeah. But these birds live on water. They don't, grebes don't, don't ever walk on land. If you ever see a bird, a grebe on land, it's probably something's wrong with it. And if you see a grebe try to walk on land, you got to look this up. Rarely, it's been documented. But because of the, their feet is super far back in their body, almost on the end. It is on the end. That's how they can walk on water. When they get on land, they kind of fall over, you know? They're like nose diving. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't realize that. Very awkward on land. You, you, usually if a grebe is sitting out, you kind of want to dial a rescue because there's something wrong with it. So they're like loons that way. They can't take off from land. Once If they get stuck on land for some reason. Yep. And, and 
with Greaves, do they get tricked sometimes like loons on a wet road with the, the, do you ever hear about that where they'll land on a wet road thinking it's water and then get stuck there and have to, no, I, I mean, it's, it's rare, but yeah. So, okay. Well, you know, again, we haven't seen rain in a couple months now, so we don't mm. have a big, it doesn't happen. Right. Sure. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Southern once California. In a, once in a while when we have a good year, we have some rain, but yeah. And this is typically your rain season, isn't it? In the it winter? Would be, this year is very dry. Yep. Very dry. Yep. So the pelicans walk on water too, kind of, sort of. Is that more of a mating behavior or do you do you see that down there too? The pelicans? Yeah. You mean when they land or when they take off? When they're or? taking off. They don't do it as a courtship thing, but when they're taking yeah. off, it almost has the yeah. same sort of... Yes and no. The pelican is awfully slow compared to the grebe. So let me let me. The reason the grebe can totally rise out if you watch a video and, and run on run literally rush. We call it a rush on water. Uh, I didn't do this. Ned Geo did this. They did a study and they slowed down the the steps they take. So they said the fastest human in the world takes five to six steps. The guy that wins the Olympics on the hundred meter. These birds do fourteen to to twenty steps a second wow i uh, know so when you so when you get down when you come out here and a lot of photographers do this and that's one of my photos that was in the napa top 250 last year it's when you watch the birds you know synchronized stepping it's not a race by the way they uh they uh they uh one bird takes off and then the other one has to catch up and then they stay in sync and if you look at your 200 frames that you took within those five seconds or whatnot, or seven or 10 seconds, and you look for those photos when their feet are synchronized, so both right feet are out at the same time, it's pretty cool. Wow. I have this vision of, what was it, the Roadrunner, that as that cartoon, like as he would take off, and yeah. you, know, you see the feet spinning around, yeah. it's kind of what I have this envision. Yep, but I guess on water. Uh, oh, it's it's wicked. I mean, the whole bird is literally out of the water. Some people, you know, yeah, it's 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 pretty impressive. Don, I think there's I western mean, grebes over there in Walden. There are in Walden, and I've actually seen this behavior, but we get it in Colorado much later in the year, and not to the volume, you know, the, the population quantities we don't have in Colorado. But there is actually a lake in northern Colorado, same thing, a reservoir. So you okay. can't really get in there but you can kind of see them off in the distance and we yeah. do have we get wilson's um yeah the wilson's and the western grebes and you know for for those that and i i'll be honest and you can clarify which one is which but there's it's just a slight eye mark one has a, a black below the eye and the yep. other one goes above the eye so when you look at the side of the bird they have a black cap yep. over their head and one and so which one is, and I always forget, and I should you remember got, having the it, same so, last name. Yep, you got it. Oh, it's actually Western Clarks with the C, Clarks. The Clarks are the, the black goes over the eye, and the Western is the black goes under the eye. Uh, also, if you look at the bill color of the bird, the Western is a bit of a more of a dull yellow, and the Clark is very orange. Um, I call the Clarks the the Audrey Hepburn of the of the Grebe Grebe world. They're a little more clean cut and elegant, and you know they're just so beautiful with their little gorgeous colors. And the Western is more of a rough Western, <laughs> so that's one way to. And their calls it's just a slightly different, but yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the call is. Yeah, I've noticed that. that you very can see that a little bit different. Yeah, very yeah. That 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 lake in Colorado, it's so huge, and you can't. You know, there's a couple of boardwalks that you know yeah. go out to the edge, but that's about it, and you really can't get terribly close to them. And they may maybe I'll have a dozen pairs out there. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so was that fourteen or forty steps per second? Did you say fourteen? Just fourteen. Fourteen. Like so the, yeah. So the trick. For us, I'm going to be back in a few minutes. I've, I've got to go try this. So if I can get to five <laughs> steps per second on water, I'm going to sink. But if I can get to 14, yep. it could be that walk on water experience. I think you might be able to, to suit up with the GoPro. <laughs> you might be able to impress some folks. Yep. <laughs> it, would, uh, it could be something worthy of a YouTube viral video, but not for the reasons that I'd hope for. No, we you try. People are like, "Oh, can you demonstrate?" I'm like, "Seriously? <laughs> no." <laughs> I think Don said it best there with the Roadrunner. That was good. That was funny. I mean, there's just so much out there. It's so amazing. You know, we we were talking about it before. It's, again, it's a behavior thing. It's it's you know to to get really good photos of this action is understanding yep. the behavior. Yep. And, you know, and that's, that's what you teach people on your workshops. It's what we all do while we're out in the field. It's such an important part of this, of understanding seasons and the weather, the behavior yeah. and, yep. and all I that agree. anticipation. Yeah. I would love to see the little, the little chicks. That would be really cute. Well, I'll let you know. I There's know. still time. We planned every week. We just like, okay, well, next week. No. <laughs> next month. Nope. Okay. It's, okay. it's I, not happening. Yeah, COVID has certainly made that that happen yeah. all last year. I think it's going to be a, a chunk of this year as well, but you just got to work through it. Be flexible. Be flexible. In general terms, you know, what other kinds of places do you like to go to? Um, you know, whether it's bird photography or mammal photography. I know you do a lot of work with puffins too. Yeah. And the Greaves well, uh, have been a six-year project of your interest, but you've been photographing for 25 years, right? Yes. Long been- time. I mean, well, off and on. That was uh, part-time for a while so while I was a um, software engineer, a software oh. geek. Yeah, although oh, cool. my degree is that's in biology. That's important nowadays. Yeah, there's biology and statistics um, involved from a long time ago from Hungary. Um, but then I turned software engineer when I moved to the U.S. So I was sitting at my, I think it was about, so I was doing it. Um, I started photographing when we used something called a film. <laughs> no, no, we can't. We can't talk about that. No, because then we, everybody knows how old we are. <laughs> well, that's one. That's one important reason. Yes. Or develop film, but you know it's interesting because in these days you go out to um, photograph birds in flight and you just click away. You're like, yeah, whatever. And back then it's like click, click. Okay, birds gone. You got so it was a lot harder. But uh, I was, uh, I got doing my my job job software engineering, and I think full time. And you try to do part time, and then. I remember about seven, eight years ago, sitting at my client's um, uh, place, and out I look in the window, and there's a gorgeous red-tailed hawk with some food in his talons, and there I'm just kind of dreaming. I'm like, that's it, going full-time. But uh, I do, well, I do a lot of local stuff, but obviously, being from Hungary, I, I go back to Hungary uh, for uh, bird photography. I'm supposed to go in June if all goes well. And then um, my other big love, in the world is Scotland and Ireland, but Scotland first. And I share this with you. That's where we go for the puffins. And I know you can photograph puffins a lot of places, but 
I had a couple clients who were like, I've been everywhere from Iceland to Maine and everything. Nothing like this. It's like brilliant. So, and we go in the summer, that's when puffins, you know, they live at sea and they come on land to raise a puffling. It's cute, huh? One chick. And they do that between May and August. So you have to, if you want to actually see them. And the place we go to, you actually have very good access to them. And they're very, they love people. Very interesting about the spot with the puffins. We're not doing anything where it's a, it's nobody lives on the island except 3,000 puffins. But these birds figured out when we visit for a couple hours, we scare away their predators, which is our big gulls and skua. It's a local European uh, massive gull. So what happens when the puffin comes in with all that fish for the chick and the moment it lands, these gulls just swoop down and try to steal the fish from them, right? So the puffins figure out that humans, we scare their uh, predators away. And I remember first time visiting this island and then I looked at the, my guy, uh, the, the guys on the boat. I'm like, you promised 3,000 puffins. I see three. He goes, sit down and wait. And I'm not kidding, Hitchcock movie, man. 30 minutes later, you look out to the sea and all the puffins are like, oh, they're here. The people are here. We're coming. And they're just flying at you with all the fish. It was crazy. And they just fill up the whole cliffside where you're sitting. You're like, okay, yep, they're here. <laughs> it's really cool. It's amazing to have that learned behavior, right? That's got to be a learned behavior. They figured it, they're kind of smart about it. The puffins, I mean, obviously they keep, we keep our distance, they keep their distance and uh, they're not going to come and approach you very close, but they figured it out that the human, and you can see the gulls like trying to swoop down, but the people are there. So they're like, Oh, nope, nope. We're not coming. So in one way it's kind of, yeah, it's very interesting. Smart little birds. And, uh, but I also do uh, a lot of landscape photography in Scotland. Hello. I don't know if you guys been there, Scotland and Ireland. It's the land of land of weather, which creates gorgeous drama in the sky. So you get great landscape photos, and obviously everything's green. Versus, I know for you guys might not be that new, but for me, us in California, <laughs> seeing a green hill, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, in Colorado, it's a, a very short season. We might maybe get a month. <laughs> Yeah, you know, or or you kind of follow it up the you know as the snow recedes and you follow it up yeah. into the tundra it gets green but but same thing it doesn't last very long in Colorado either so and I'm looking forward to going to Costa Rica hopefully soon I love that place love love being there. it's just like there's birds and wildlife everywhere you don't even have to go too far and then my first time going to Galapagos this year so. So do you think with this pandemic that, I mean, do you have high hopes that this is all going to come through or do you, how does that, how are you treating that? It, it's been crazy because, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, 2020 was kind of canceled. <laughs> I should say postponed. I got to love my clients. Nobody canceled. I had Scotland tours, Ireland tours, Costa Rica, everything lined up. We just moved it to 2021, right? And uh, I get a lot of, it's a little bit of shift though, very interesting. I have a lot of one-on-one -on -one clients where we can, even today or yes, two days ago, I had a, somebody I took around San Diego. So instead of being in my car, we just drove our own car. 
we're distancing, wearing masks, but it, it, you get a lot of more intimate um, groups, small groups, very small, four to six. Very interesting because there is a need for it. So I, um, I think it's going to be, how is it going to change? I hope uh, um, get your vaccine and whatnot and off we go. You know, you just got to wait it out, right? Everybody yeah, were, wants to travel. Everybody's itching to go somewhere, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I will definitely agree with that. I'm hearing more and more about that, that people, I mean, we all, we love to be outdoors. And yeah. oh, there's, yeah. only, there's only so much backyard photography I think you can do, depending upon where you live. So well, what's good that you can still do that right now in social distance and, and have one or two clients and make that happen locally. Yeah. And even in the boats, you know, we go out on the boat, we are six feet away. I can only take Mm -hmm. one. In the past, I could take two people in the boat. Now you can take one person uh, and you just stay on one end. I stay on the other end. And um, it's they do all the safety, you know, sanitize boats and you you keep safe. And we are outside, so that's good. But you got to wear a mask and just hang on and hang tight. I I had the... I did have um, clients like from Canada obviously had to postpone because they can't really travel or from Europe. So those just uh, go with the flow. I always say, hey, beat cancer. I think we can get through this one too. Sure. Well, it's great they just postpone. Yeah. Bump it to the next opportunity. I don't think. What was it saying online somewhere? The worst thing you ever bought was a 2020 calendar. (laughs) (laughs) i don't think they exist anymore the 2020s i think i think people have moved on and and disposed move it over yeah (laughs) which is good because by 2021 tours let's hope it happens everything goes well it's all sold out i'm 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 actually planning 2022 and 2023 because i think everybody's looking to that now well, like you, like you both just said, a lot of people will be looking to have some adventures when they, as soon as they can. Yeah. So I think it's a good time to market. And with that idea, you know, it's just a matter if they cannot do it for some unforeseeable reason, which hopefully won't be yeah. the case. It's just a matter of, of picking one later, later on. At least they're in in the queue. Can I ask you a little bit about Ireland because that's my heritage and I haven't I been. Like- it's a bucket list. And what do you what do you photograph there? for bird life because what i was we were my wife and i were joking this morning when we were thinking about the podcast and what you do i said oh that'd be so perfect because we could do now i don't think correct me if i'm wrong puffins aren't in ireland like they are in scotland have them in ireland too like cliffs of moor around the west coast there are puffins there are what about puffins and pubs puffins and pubs (laughs) photo tour puffins all morning long pubs in the afternoon guaranteed <laughs> three pubs in the afternoon or your money back right i free like Advo it and tylenol for the next day i you like that on my tour so my ireland tour is a little more uh, i call it the cultural journey which is nice. <laughs> yeah, a pub journey no it's not a pub journey you have to be able to get up uh it's earlier yes. you mentioned pine martin actually we go visit a uh, a hide or two that we photographed pine martins yep my latest cute little favorite thing in ireland and a lot of birds they have local hawks uh, buzzards which it's not a turkey vulture it's actually a hawk <laughs> the european buzzard different birds there too robins uh, jays uh, they're all what's cool is that they all look different 
Um, we do do a handful of landscape photography and also do other things than birds. Well, back to the birds, we do photograph northern gannets also. Uh, puffins, we kind of take care of it in Scotland. You might see puffins, but they won't be as accessible as it is in Scotland. Mm. Oh, I was just spinning uh, on the marketing name. Sorry, that's why I yeah. thought. Oh, I like puffins and pubs. Now you know but, Scotland does have pubs too, so I might have to. Uh, sure, I might have true to, enough. Uh, pay you for that likeness. <laughs> it started tour pubs and puffins, <laughs> or puffins. We'll, we'll talk after the podcast. You know, we could do it together. That's good. Oh yeah. Sure, sure. I do. Guess what? I do do a lot of custom tours. I do actually do one in Scotland here this year which is three to four people, and we can pub away or distillery <laughs> or, uh, yeah, and if you stay up long enough, you, you hit, hit sunrise, which is like at right. 3, 4 a.m., so you, you're, you'll be good in the summer. Yeah, you don't even need to uh, go to sleep. <laughs> the, coast, the coast there is so striking, and, you know, I mean, from what I've seen, someday, it's on the list. Okay. Oh, so you haven't been? You yeah. should. You should. No. Um, no it's. Yeah. May, yeah maybe within the next list. year or two. Oh. Right. Right I'm, now there I, I have family in Scotland and I've I mean oh. it's been that whole area. And the more I learn about wildlife, the more I'm I'm shocked at how much wildlife there is out there. Yeah. You know, in United Kingdom and Scotland and Ireland and Wales that you know, between the grouse and the red deer and puffins and yeah. There's quite a bit there. Yep. There's the white tailed eagles, um, and the red kites, which are, are not they're actually um talk about great stories they're reintroduced birds because uh, they were they went extinct a couple well 20 30 40 years ago and they reintroduced them both the white-tailed eagles and the red kites and they're doing really well because scotland ha does have a little problem with the you know they their sheep the, their love for sheep and they think that uh, the raptors were or the grouse and then uh, everything's going to kill them so they they did their own uh damage to these birds by Pretty much killing them so i think back in the 19 1900s 1916 and the 1950s they figured out these birds are not that bad so they reintroduced them uh the white-tailed eagles from norway they brought in pairs and they're doing really good they have about 100 nesting pairs yeah cool story yeah very cool but yeah ireland is great i haven't been to northern ireland yet that's the only area but most of all i other ireland i've i've been around and, and the time to go, as I write in my calendar, would yeah. be summer, early summer, July? Depends on, yeah, depends on what you want to see. I love spring and fall, obviously. Uh, winter can be a little bit extra wet. Uh, yeah. However, it's with, with both Scotland and Ireland, talk about being flexible and being okay with the weather. And I know, um, talk about being in the field challenges with the uh, with um, Scotland and Ireland is the weather so I always tell my clients that you have to be able to be flexible because in in one day you'll have four seasons it's not unusual to have sunshine rain hail cold hot whatever but that's what's beautiful so you just need to prepare for it and in the morning if I wake up and it's raining and two doors down it's not then we change our plans and we go do something else <laughs> Yeah, sounds like a, a wild cool and exposed trip. Exactly. <laughs> we, oh, you will be exposed to weather. Yep. <laughs> we get a lot of that in Newfoundland. It's one of the things I love yeah, about Newfoundland. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 And it's dramatic for light that way for landscape. 
for those that are into that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's lots of opportunity. Oh, it's gorgeous. You know, two, scenes. two years ago, three years ago, two years ago when we were there, they had a hot spell. They, it was no rain for a week. And half of Scotland was outside. They're so white. It's funny because everybody's trying to get sunshine, right? It was in the 80s, which is really hot for over there. And they were on the TV saying, okay, everybody drink lots of water, put sunscreen on. This is like crazy. And everybody's out there. And, and us from California were like, no, we want some rain. That's why we came from. And they're looking at you like, are you crazy? I'm like, I got sunshine at home. <laughs> Well, and in some ways, you know, I like cloudy days because you can get yeah. stay out and photograph a lot longer. Exactly. You get that nice filtered light. And, you know, as long as the clouds aren't too, too heavy. Right. You get that nice filtered light or you get, you know, even out in the rain, you get some really dramatic, you know, wet animals, shaking water, all kinds of different things like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then if it's raining too hard, Mark, you, you like go to that. the pub. Go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's wrong with the pub you know you have these um clothes you always take these rain shells they are like a waterproof little jacket and a pair of pants that you just so there is us you know on the in the little uh, entry to the pub we're all peeling off our wet clothes and in we go <laughs> and when the rain stops well back you go so yeah you would oh, have so much act. history I think it's in that too. It's uh, there's a there's a castle in every corner so if you would like a sunset with a castle I can take care of that for you. <laughs> you would like it there. And maybe you can look up your ancestry. You can look up right from, right? I'm 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 thinking castles, sunset. I'm I'm feeling the Braveheart moment coming into my head here. I'm cool. running across the landscape. Yeah. You're a cool adventure. <laughs> yeah. Cool adventure. Perfect. So with with your with your camera equipment, given that you are shooting Canon from what I saw on your website yep. and that you've been involved with photography for so long and you mentioned how you, the equipment nowadays facilitates getting the action pictures of the Russian Grebes, are you mirrorless? Have you made the switch? No, and uh, no, not yet. I just okay. uh, need a few more clients to go to Ireland and give me <laughs> lots of money. So for watching yeah. on YouTube right now, you get the message, people, Mark, and you'll see Mark, what you yeah. <laughs> just make like just a little more, and then I'll 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 probably eventually switch. <laughs> but it's right. I, I do want to say that it's the equipment helps, but and the yeah obviously you're all photographers, you know that it goes a lot of work into it from the person behind the equipment. But the equipment, oh, it definitely helps. Um, by the way, I'm not stuck on, I, I love Canon. I, I started with Canon. I, I used to, people always ask me, what's a good camera? What's a good brand? I'm like, whatever you want to pick up and get, you get used to all the menus and you don't want to change the buttons. And then you bought a lot of lenses. So now you just don't want to change. <laughs> right. So it's either, but, um, I've heard a lot of great things of Canon's mirrorless. So yeah, once I get a few more, um, uh, clients to ireland or scotland then yes or anywhere right <laughs> or just photograph the grebes yeah grebes costa rica i mean i, I haven't been but i know so many people that have gone and everybody's spoken highly of costa rica just because of the diversity of life 
everywhere there. And there is light. The rainforest. And yeah, exactly. It's it's really great. The only thing with Costa Rica when I was there, it, I think it was day three, I gave up figuring out uh, which shirt was dry or not, <laughs> or, or not, because it's so humid. So you just kind of like shower, eh, nope, I already taken three today. <laughs> I think I gave up on that too. But uh, you get used to it, I think. So it's it's fun. You have quite the diversity of, of tours. How do you pick places? Or, or do you like add a new place every year? Or do you find that those places and you say, oh, I'm just going to stick with this for the next couple of years? Good question. So... I know when people ask me, hey, when are you doing Africa? And I said, probably never, because there are a lot of people doing it, and they're probably doing it for a longer time, and they're doing it great. I, I try to find locations that maybe not too many people are doing it, or I love for some reason, or it's very accessible. I try to have a variety of uh, you know folks that are interested in different things. Um, Scotland and, and Ireland and Hungary are dear to my heart, so... Uh, people don't, I always talk about it and they're like, oh, you must like it there. And then the clients who do get there and they land in Glasgow and the next day we leave for the Highlands and they look at me and I'm smiling up to here and they're like, oh no, we get it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then they don't want to go home because when we're in Scotland or Ireland, one thing I want to say is that we're not in big cities like uh, with Ireland, Dublin, check it out on your own. Not with me. Uh, we're same with Scotland. A lot of times we're on the um, one lane road, you know, the one lane road, but it's only it is one lane and they have little turnouts and then you pull over. If somebody comes, you just back up and those are easy to maneuver. But when the hundred sheep are coming down, then you kind of like, ah, just sit and wait. Everybody get out, take some photos. We'll wait for the sheep to go by. <laughs> but that way you're out in the middle of nowhere. And those are that's the places I like. I enjoy that. And I do, I am doing the Tetons, but I am doing that with Napa. So I've been on with Napa, I'm on the ethics committee, but I'm also helping out with regional events. So regional events is a, is a cool thing to get members together. And uh, it's, it's a different setup than, you know, all organized. You're kind of doing lodging and everything on your own, but you meet up, you're part of the uh, Napa community. And we'll take you around. So I'm doing that with uh, Jennifer in September. So talk about local stuff. I'm. I think that's. I love the Tetons too. Talk about local. Yeah, that should be a nice trip because it's such yeah. a beautiful time of year. Uh, I mean, that park's gorgeous any time of year, but yeah. you know, in September in particular, it's just um, absolutely yeah. stunning. So it's great that NAMP is doing that kind of networking for their members. Oh give opportunities like that to go out with a photographer in a, in a place that so many people would like to experience. Yep. I think it's great. They're doing a lot of it. We just set up uh, more. I, I will be doing one in Southern California, but we've been, I've been doing that for past some, some years. So I, we do it every two years um, for Southern California uh, wildlife and stuff, but there's so many around the country places you can go. And that way you feel you're not, you know, a lot of folks don't want to go on their own or you feel like you're part of the, the, the community. You were with like-minded people, photographers and the chats and networking and everything you can have and then learning and exploring new areas. It's pretty neat. It's the best way to, to experience a new yeah. area, in my opinion, is to go yeah. with somebody who's familiar with it. If you want to find out where to look yourself, you know, yeah. the Tetons is, is a big place, but to go with somebody with the experience, is, it's smart to educate that way. It streamlines the process. Mm -hmm. 
that's what's got to be hard about workshops though if you pick a new location it's like how do you i guess you just got to go down there and do a trip for yourself and figure it out and you know it's like an exploratory trip yep you do i i do and actually i offer this um when I have a new, I have a handful of clients who are like, I, I do a very, very low cost. They're like my exploratory people. Uh, sometimes I take two, three people with, with me and they're willing to put up with my oopsies or, oh, I didn't know that was not open <laughs> while I'm exploring. But they get a good deal, right? They, uh, but, uh, but they're clear that this is not your next year's tour where there are no mistakes. Yeah, right. There's always something. <laughs> Right. It's nature. <laughs> or you just go on your own. Scotland, I think, have been in a, almost every corner of it because I just love a couple of years ago. I just roamed around for a month. And it's it's great to, to find those places. And some tours, though, I do with a company. Uh, I do it with Holbrook Travel just because you get so many people logistically or, or so different countries that I say, you know what? You take care of the details and you got the insurance, you got the experience, you got the lodging, you got all that. I'm just coming along. Like with Costa Rica, I get a local guide. While I've been to Costa Rica, we're going areas that I haven't been to, but I have a local full-time guide assigned, which is kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. Takes some pressure off. And again, you and your clients will experience so much more with that local knowledge. Same with Galapagos. But Galapagos is pretty, uh, it's it's uh, kind of not restricted, but um, what's the word? Um, you Certain things you can and cannot do in diff- different times of, uh, you can only spend so many hours on land and this and that. Say so I have a local, we're on a small boat, 15 people on the boat, but you get a local um, guide. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, for some of these places, if you only go there one time a year, you're like, you know, I've had people ask me about doing tours. You know, I take people up to Alaska every year to photograph bears. But yeah. but then they ask me, they're like, well, I want to do a tour around Anchorage. Or I want to do a tour around other places. Well, we have a guide in, in the park for the bears, just like you said, their familiarity with yep. that subject. But because I'm not living in a place, it's it's kind of, you get to have a better understanding of what's going on. Yeah, like you said, what's closed, what's open, what traffic might be happening, construction right. or restrictions especially right now with covid you know they're just going to know a little bit more of the day-to-day things that's right out of the way gems that's things i've learned you just talk to locals and you can find these little places that you might not have discovered because it's down this one-way road but it's it's one of the cultural experiences of the trip to go and and so there's so much to be gleaned from from local knowledge that way if you don't have a month to spend to immerse oneself there it's a great way to that's a great it. way to find pubs <laughs> well, i wasn't going to go there again <laughs> i was about to say that at the end of the road it's a theme today yeah. it's the you desperation know? for travel in this covid time and then of course that other stuff yeah the pubs right yeah you know there is a, a talk about pubs in a, a mall where we spend a couple nights in the scotland or isle of mall it's a small main street a little tiny thing and people you do dinner on your own and people are like oh where should i go i'm like well you can go to this restaurant and it's your high-end nice you want to take your spouse out whatnot sounds good you go to the pub next to it it's touristy spot spot and whatnot mid price range and then you go to the pub next door and that's where the locals go and if you're a cute girl everybody will be buying you drinks but even the drinks and the food are 
tenth of a price and you get the whole everybody's chatting with you you mark you show up there i wouldn't be surprised you come out with 20 new friends and they all want to invite you over for breakfast or dinner next day because it's just the way both scotland and ireland the people are so cool and further you go from the uh, cities nothing i love the cities again glasgow or edinburgh but further away you go you'll go up to the highlands or on the islands it's just like, hey, come on in, have a drink, sit, chat, have another one, okay? <laughs> and then you just walk home, so. So we've talked a lot about traveling today. Do you have any just kind of general advice around how to prepare for travel, you know, outdoor travel, field, you know, how to get ready for you know photographing in the field with like gear or whatnot or clothing or safety <laughs> or all of I, <laughs> I hate to say it almost any of the above but yeah. you know there's always things that you know like sometimes if I know if, I, if I'm taking clients out to an area that's going to be really kind of damp or cold I'm yeah. like you know bring it bring a pair of you know hand warmers bring um gloves yeah. those cheap disposable gloves to put under your gloves so that yeah. it keeps your hands dry Yep. You can, you know, if your gloves get wet on the outside, then your hands still stay dry. Um, you know, just little tips and tricks like that. Tips and tricks. Well, one of the things I, uh, besides gloves and, uh, and something to lay on, on the boat dock, which I have done before that I did not take like a little uh, layer of something to be between me and the dock. I really wanted to get this low angle shot. I, I saw the grebe setting up. I was on my own. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to lay down and I get this cool shot. And they were happening so fast. I dropped down, start shooting, and then all of a sudden you kind of like, <laughs> and you, you look down, and you're like, what's that smell? Oh, it's the boat duck. All the birds, all the pelicans were sitting here last night. So there I am, fully covered in bird poo. But I got a great shot. It was it was cool. It was worth it. They are <laughs> one definitely of the things, worth it. Um, one of the things actually at Lake Hodge is that um, it because it's a big lake, and I always say I'm a girl. I always rock some safety equipment like a pepper spray or a knife. But one thing I stopped doing is carrying the camera bag. I just carry a regular backpack that I slide my somewhat expensive camera in because so many times you go out there and if especially if I'm holding my camera as I'm walking out people are like hey nice camera I'm like hmm uh in in a lot of times you don't get in trouble for girl or being alone they just want your gear and I know there were some stories about um some famous photographer getting killed for her for the gear um yeah, I know it's kind of sad, but um, so one of the things I do, and same thing for airplanes and, and rides, I just check in my uh, camera bag when I travel overseas. I take my camera bag and I put all my clothes in it, put it in a duffel bag, check that in, and I carry my camera in a regular backpack. And when I get there, I just swap them out. You know, I just load up my camera bag. It's a new one. Don't know. Broken. I'm telling yeah. you, it's yeah, especially when I'm out there, I see. Uh, folks with uh, you look we look at a bag or whatnot and you you're like oh yeah there's a 600 lens in there oh I know <laughs> it's a massive thing you're carrying out and you during the week at the lake you're there are times when you're by yourself you know it's like hmm I always look around I do carry a first aid kit that's one thing I tell you uh, go, especially going out with clients I always have one on 
pre-COVID, after COVID, no COVID. It's something to do with that. You just never know who falls or what happens. And That's great. I think, you know, someday we're going to say, remember COVID 2020? We're going to say, oh, a long time ago. Let's, I, I mean, I can't wait for that closure that this isn't such an issue. We should have done this with the masks on or something, right? Who are the photographers that are selling masks with photos on them? I wonder how, I mean, is that something we all missed out on? Should we have done that? Yeah, I, never I sold. Got. I sold some. I did. Oh yeah, you did it. You you jumped on. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Actually, the the picture behind me, I have the bear picture was on a mask. I but I tried to find ones that were like you know mouths open or close ups of eyes, you know, some of those types of things. Yeah, they were they were an okay hit. It's I don't I wasn't selling them in you know just like any business I wasn't selling them in the volume to justify. The production cost so by the time i bought a few it was it's all distribution right when yeah. it comes to that stuff it's having those channels and i you know you've picked i don't know if it's the perfect picture for your background but it is uh it's one of a kind presentation that we haven't had on a show so if you know if you're listening to the audio podcast which i assume all of you are hopefully go and watch on youtube as well at our Wild and Exposed channel and see Dawn's amazing background and how it fits the scenario. And there's even a heart there, an upside down heart. It is. Yes. Where her head goes. That's great. Where her head goes, right? <laughs> yeah. But Christina's background is even better because she's even oh. marketing, right? I mean, she's I, got the whole thing going on. Even learning. Right? I yeah. Quickly. Okay. No, I like it. I <laughs> think it's yeah, brilliant. Puffins. So the, the story of the puffin shot, right? You see those puffins? Those are Scottish puffins. And it was in the um, Comedy Wildlife Photography Awards this year. Did they you have know, a caption tied to it? Uh, would you share some? But uh, to be honest with you, um, two years ago or three years ago when I took that photo, it was up on um, Visit Scotland. And they posted it. And they, they asked for uh, caption this caption this photo. And there were, I don't know, 5,000 comments of captions, which I was, first I was happy. I'm like, yay, they're going to help me out, get a title for this photo, because I'm just not sure which one. No, you're reading, reading, oh, that's good, that's good. Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so people, a lot of times, they, I think they, um, they call it a greedy puffin or whatnot, or, you know, but that oh. actually the fish, that photo... I don't know if you have time or want to hear the story. That's a that's a ten second photo, meaning it's a um, I call it the the Jane Wayne mo moment. It's not John Wayne because I'm a girl, but it's the Jane Wayne. How fast do you draw your camera to get a mm. shot? Because nice. I was packed up, we were ready to go, and the puffins land, you know, and they quickly ditch into their burrows under underground to deliver all that fish. All that fish goes to the puffling. It's not them. It's for the chick. The chick is so fat by this time. It's just going to roll out when it's time to leave, right? So they keep feeding that kid. So he walks, he lands, and we were ready to go. The boat's about to leave. I have 15 minutes to get to the boat. It's, we're up on the hill. you got to come down the hill. And people are already who were on the boat going down. There were 10 people left on the hill, and we're all packing up. The boat leaves. I'm left on the island. I mean, there's nobody there to come next morning. So I was like, okay, I don't want to do this. So this puffin lands. And I remember the 10 people looking at me. It's like a triangle. They're looking at me. I'm looking at the puffin. I'm like, he, 
I can't. He's just going to go down in the bar. And I have everything packed in my backpack. And he's standing there. And they're looking at me. And I'm looking at them. And I'm looking at the puffin. I'm like, fine, I'll do it. I drop my bag, grab the camera, dial in the settings. But I'm like, but I want a low shot. Poor no poo. I'm like, I'm just going to lay down. So I lay down. I snap, start snapping the photos. And this other puffin comes up and does that look, right? And quickly he go, he disappears with the fish. So as photographers, we all do quickly. I'm looking at my frames. Yeah, I get it. And like scrolling through only had like 25 photos I could take because it was a super fast moment. And as I'm scrolling through, I, I, I see that shot. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and then I'm ready to get up and I look up and the 10 people hovering over you, over you like, <laughs> did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? I'm like, I did. But one of you start going down there and tell the boat I'm coming. <laughs> I just need to pack up. <laughs> So we got on the boat and, of course, had to show everybody. They're like, oh, yay. And I'm like, so I got home. I'm like, okay, I can back it up on the laptop. I can back it up on my hard drive and don't delete the card until I get home. <laughs> yeah. This is a fun shot. Just that expression from that one puffin looking around the side of just, what the heck are you doing with those fish? I got people like, oh, did you uh, Photoshop those fish in there? I'm like, no. <laughs> We don't do that. It's nature, nature photography. No Photoshop. Well, and how many fish they can hold as well is something, right? I mean, how do the, they do that and keep catching them and keep piling them in there? It's well, something we don't know. It's all underwater, right? This would be this, a great pop conversation. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I'm I'm sure it would get more and more interesting. So, yes, let's, yeah. uh, let's plan you. that. They, um, that's actually, uh, the, the puffin in my photo, I call it an underachiever. He, he got like, I think I might have counted one day, um, 14, 15, I don't know. The most, uh, somebody counted was, uh, in one puffin, a photo of was 60 something. Uh, the puffin, the, their, their build, the bottom, it's kind of like a little skewer, like a little razor bottom. So as they dive, they're very good diver. They just keep, uh catching the fish and kind of like skewing it up there on the bottom. They just keep adding on until it's, they're kind of like, okay, we're done. We're out. And, and, uh, they, they, they're awkward flyers, but they're crazy good, uh, underwater. It's amazing. It's the evolution of that, right? How did these yeah. birds yeah. get to this point? And when you watch them, we had them in the Kenai fjords, uh, summer, two summers ago in Alaska. And they were, a hoot to watch they call them fly, flying potatoes there because it, they bounce, <laughs> bounce 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 trying to take off but when yep. they get in the air they're like these little footballs that are just <laughs> flying around and in the water underwater they're even more impressive but to think of a bird that nests on these shore cliffs the way they do mm -hmm. fly the way they do have such a difficult time taking off but can maneuver underwater and accomplish that how does yeah. that happen in nature how well, cool. they're cute too. Very and cool. they are. The makeup, right? The, yeah. They've got the eye makeup, the right. colors in the, yeah. in the, in the, in the, in the beak. They are cute. And it's an efficiency, efficiency thing too, I would imagine. You know, the more fish they can hold in that beak, the, the less they have to fly back and forth. But again, it's all learned behavior, you know, over centuries, you know, it's, you know, just that evolution of. And did you say earlier 60? 
There were yeah, 60 some odd fish. Now they might have been smaller fish. I, I would have to like research this photo, but I read it in an article a long time ago that that's the most one, but like documented one. Who knows how many did they get? Even this photo of mine, I think if you count carefully the heads, it's pretty good. It's got a few in there. That's yeah, and impressive. they're bigger, they're sand eels. They're pretty big pieces. Big, big, uh, good looking fish, too. So it's kind of by design or by accident, you tend to like the divers, the fish eating diver birds. Birds. I like any birds. Um, I love birds in flight. I think that's the that's the challenge. See, that's what it is. It's like special getting the puffins coming in with the fish because you want that shot, right? The flying shot with the fish. You're right, Mark. They're like little bullets. They're just <laughs> you're like, did you get that? Uh, maybe no. Try again. <laughs> I think it's a challenge. Probably it's it's cool. It's like a peregrine falcon, you know exchanging food in midair with its mate because why just not leave it on the on the rock there and then i'll come pick it up no 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 we're gonna do food exchange in the air because it's cool <laughs> so do you find that most of the photographers that come with you on these tours are do they start out as birders and then all of a sudden they're like huh it'd be cool to take photos and then they become a photographer but still having the birder or are they just photographers that that like shooting anything and birds just happen to be the thing for the thing right now. Well, actually, uh, because I have taken photos of bigger animals, like three ninety nine, that was fun, but they move a little bit, um, uh, slower, I should say. Uh, most people actually who start out doing bird photography, they get really frustrated because they're having a really hard time, especially when you're not just doing perching birds, but you're trying to do birds in flight. You're like, oh, I'm giving up photography. I'm like, hang on. Why don't you try to take a photo of your dog first? And then, you know, slowly, <laughs> on, you know, something a little less fast or maybe an elk, something bigger that you don't have to pinpoint that poor focus. Um, birders, I actually uh, do a lot of... Um, workshops when we can group workshops i call it birding with the camera a lot of birders are intimidated by the the photographers like the big lens and all that and they're like oh i don't know what to do so we started introducing photography into birding and we just kind of say hey let's bird and if we get to take photos great kind of casual don't get too intimidated or worried about it so i do that too um i get a lot of professional like when you're talking greaves and they say um during like last January, I had it this year, but I had to postpone to next year when folks come in and for five days, because you flew all the way here and you, it's wildlife, right? Some mornings are better. Some mornings are not. This is all we do for five days, sit in the boat morning, then we'll take a break and then go back in the afternoon and just uh, wait for the griefs to do their thing. So yeah, you get mixed different folks depends on what's their interest do you find that birders are really good with understanding behavior or are they willing to to learn and wait with the behavior or do you find that the photographers are a little bit more patient with that both so birding um birding is to me is different than obviously than photography however uh years ago before i started doing workshops at the san diego bird festival i actually attended the bird festival and the only reason i went to learn about bird behavior 
And if you want to learn bird behavior, go hang with the birders. I mean, it's amazing. They would they would hear the bird, the little tiny thing in the bush. Oh, that's the so-and-so, and the third feather is out of place. <laughs> or something like that, right? they just crazy. Or, oh, I saw from five miles from here, there is a blah, and because it's moving this way. So you would learn. I would learn so much from them. However, when it comes to photography, I have to separate, like we do a... We do the workshops at the, when I do the workshops at the bird festival, we have one day when it's photography oriented, meaning we sit in one place and we patiently wait three hours. That doesn't work with birders. We just, birders just want to go and check them in and talk about it. And we see a bald eagle five miles. That's great. Us photographers are like, well, a photo would be kind of (laughs) nice. Yeah, they're just looking to check off their life list, right? They just right. want to get that but and move on. Of, in terms of knowledge, I always go back to them. If I'm lost or I need an idea or that's like the golden eagle with the with the juvenile or the immature bald eagle, you're kind of like, okay, yep. Uh, then when we need feather detail or whatnot, I call them up and say, help. <laughs> They, so they yeah. can really work off of each other then that would yeah. be so the birders can really help you know while birds are farther away can really help the photographers and you know say well watch for this or this might happen yeah. and then as you get closer then it switches to the photographer all right well this is how you now get a better photo yeah while you're doing this and i, I know, have, sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say you know sometimes i've seen people where if they're trying to learn bird photography start with the big birds like I, i'm down here in louisiana yeah. i love photographing the brown pelicans but they do not move very fast and they're it's a big bird it's a good way to practice and then you can kind of narrow down the size oh totally that's that's totally true and you know bird photo- birders who became photographers it's very interesting because i kind of after a couple session i kind of have the talk with them saying you know the the, the, the pink jacket can stay home now. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, what do you mean? I'm like, and while we're out for three hours, we're not going to talk too much. We're going to be very quiet. <laughs> we're just going to sit here quietly. And then they transfer to that and they're like, oh, I get it. So we, we always like, sometimes they're like, Christina, is this a birding walk or is this a photography thing or... Is this somewhere between? What are we doing? I'm like, I got you. <laughs> Here's your checklist. <laughs> and then the professional, right, photographers, photographers, you're like, we can sit in the boat. You're on one end. I'm on the other end. We shut down the motor. We park the boat. And that's like the best way to me. Just wait for wildlife. Do their thing. Natural. You don't want to harass them. You don't want to go into the nesting area on your boat. Why would you do that? But you just kind of sit back wait for the birds do their thing and we can sit there for well not four hours because there has to be a bathroom break but you can sit there for a couple hours and not talk and just click and just well whenever i talk i just point out i usually do my educational like i love teaching about the greaves i usually do that ahead of time like i tell the clients because i want to explain them what they're going to photograph and i want to teach them a little bit um, they're still not going to take my job, but I want to teach them a little <laughs> bit so they know what they're, you know, looking at. <laughs> but usually we do that ahead of time, and then we go out in the field. That's well, a great opportunity where the photos will mean that much more to them when they understand and really appreciate what the bird yep. or animal was doing and, and it, take away that knowledge. So it's a, that's great. It's that a you proud moment when when 
somebody posts a nap on the Facebook group or somewhere and they're like, explain like what they sound like. Yes. It's stuck. <laughs> they get it right. <laughs> they got it. <laughs> or it's stuck or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's neat. It's cool. Of course, I, I have this, as I said, I'm addicted to the grief. So I like to talk about them. I do a lot of presentations. Sometimes I have to like cut myself off. <laughs> but I can talk about other things. Too. I think our oh, there's a lot of like diversity. It. Yeah. What was it, Michael? I said, I think our audience would like the talk. I think people get into it. We can, we all tend to geek out on this stuff, right? Oh yeah. No, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> that goes back to what we were saying earlier about office jobs. I can remember telling people, you know, they, you know, you go in Monday morning and everybody's like, so what'd you do all weekend? You know, most, you know, I cleaned the garage or I did this or that. And, oh yeah. I went out and, you know, I, you know, photographed the elk and, you know, they did this and that. And, you know, people used to tell me, they're like, you just light up when you're talking about it. I mean, I think, as nature photographers, we get that. We understand yeah. that, you know, that exhilarating moment of when we saw something unique, like an antler flying off or, you know, a grebe dancing or coming in with fish that we haven't, you know, in a situation that we haven't had to photo the opportunity to photograph before. It's We get that. We're a special breed for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're okay with laying in poo sometimes. And oh, totally. As or long the as it... The ants crawling up your leg, you know, you look down and there comes the bird walking by that you've been waiting for half an hour and then something's really itching on your leg and you're not sure what it is, but you can't move. And then you look down and you're like, oh, I'm sitting near an ant pile. I got stung by a wasp twice last year. Yeah, same thing, just out, yeah. not paying attention, really focused on what I was photographing. And once I backed right up into a wasp nest, wasp pile. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. That was actually in Grand Teton, so... Photographing moose out there. I did walk into a cactus. I was, I was just thinking I of a cactus story. I've never done that again. So I always teach that I'm like, please don't walk and photograph, right? And, of course, I was out on my own. Thank God. I, I saw this. I, that's when I, I, oh, I got the great shot of the northern flicker with his wings open from the belly. And it's like a very unique photo. Oh, it's a two-second shot. It's awesome. Except I just wanted one step closer and I was up in Irvine and I walked into this big cactus and I remember going, ow, and you look <laughs> down and all these things are hanging out, but you're on the trail and you're kind of like, well, I got to drop my pants because I need to pull those things out. You kind of look around, you're like, anybody? Nope. Okay. You stand there pulling everything out. I'm like, oh, great. Not going to do that again. <laughs> but the wasp is no fun though. I would. Yeah, if, you, if you're doing a, a gross lex with Mr. Ron Hayes in Wyoming, mm -hmm. go with your knee pads. Get the knee pads not oh. on day two, but day one. Because if there's a dusting of snow and you're kneeling and laying down yeah. for the eye level gross, sage gross, then there are cactuses under that snow. Eh? And they're little, they're little <laughs> itsy bitsy cactus, but they so have sharp. tough little spikes on them. Tough, tough Here little spikes. It was worth it, though. Only happened once or twice. I still get chills. Yeah. <laughs> you learn quick, though. Yeah. Oh, we got <laughs> knee pads. Yes. Yeah. Well, I would tell people that, in, like, back to Scotland and Ireland, one thing you're going to need is waterproof gear. And I'm not talking waterproof for four hours or water resistant or no, 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 no. Save your money. Pay up for the proper whatever label I can stand in the shower for an hour waterproof gear, including shoes, because 
everything's wet. So you're walking and you think you're, you think there's a, a ground or a stone or something, but it's actually, uh, uh, call it the bog or you, you, it's just this heather layers of, of plants that you step on. And if you step in the wrong place, your whole foot just goes, you know, it just kind of sucks it all in and you're like, Oh, or, or the rain starts and you're, oh, it's just a little shower. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> when it rains, it comes sideways and it's windy. And that's when you figure out it's, I call it waterproof. And then there is Scotland approved waterproof clothing. So I heard something on a YouTube video yesterday and they said, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just bad clothes. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. There's bad choice of clothing, no bad weather. Also, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. And here's a funny story. We were doing 2017. I was doing a landscape photography tour. And we go out for sunrise because it's supposed to be good. And, of course, it's pouring rain. <laughs> so we're like, well, should we practice what I preach? Which is, if you don't like the weather in Scotland, wait five minutes. Literally five minutes later, rain goes away. Sun pops out. Just enough. We all get our shot. Five minutes later, back to rain. We're like, oh. To the pub we go. That <laughs> <laughs> was worth it. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. Well, in those in those landscapes, rain pants you should always have them in your camera pack because I get down low to photograph a lot. So if you kneel or if you've been hiking for hours and you want to sit down and take a break, even if you're not wearing them, but rain pants help keep you dry in those situations. Otherwise, you're gonna have wet knees, wet butt. So they're easy to have in your pack. A lot. You know, even if I'm around the lake on a bright, sunny, warm day, I'll wear my waders because, yeah, they're great to just sit down and you get up and you just hose them off. It's you don't have to worry about it. That's nice. Sadly, you can't do that here. No waders, no nothing. You can't touch the lake. It, like uh, all the lakes that we photograph, grapes, it's um, their emergency water reservoir. So none of that. Fish and wildlife will be on you in no time. <laughs> Well, I'm not, no, not even for standing in the water, but yeah. just, just for oh, sitting yeah. down, you know, because right it'll around. keep your butt dry. You know, like we're talking about, we keep talking about poo, you know, you just kind of, you know, there's been times where I've been along the side <laughs> of the side of a lake, you know, goose, there might be goose poo or something. It's just the waders just work really well for kind of That's a good point. I just keeping have, you dry and keeping you I separate my from poop pants. <laughs> So we got puffins, we got poo, we got pouring rain to wash off, then we have pubs. Sounds like the photo tour. Or something. Or <laughs> <laughs> the Everybody's going to be signing up. PPPP tour. Yeah, I don't think that's Yeah. Tired of your, what was, well, what's the PPE for 2020? You know, it's tired yeah. of your PPE, have a PPP tour. I feel like we've got a, a ton of great information today. I mean, I, Christina, you just have such a positive outlook and you're so, so excited about what you do and so passionate fun. about. We have fun. Life is too short. <laughs> it is. Very cool. I was so excited to finally talk to you, Christina, and thank you for coming on. So, so let's make sure that we get your, um, for those people that are listening, um, your Instagram handle. It's KS Nature Photography. And they can find you on your website as well for more tour information. Yep. Same thing. KS, like uh, Kilo and Sam, naturephotography.com. The funny thing about that is that, have you looked at my first name? Nobody mm -hmm. wants to spell that one out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to add a Z. I'm Hungarian, thanks. So 
that's how KS was born because I said, if you see somebody in the pub and you say, hey, what's your website? You're like, Christina Chef, nature photography. Good luck. <laughs> so it's KS, yep, nature photography. Very good. And then, so anybody that's interested in learning more about Nampa, you can go to our website at nampa.org and be sure to subscribe to the Wild and Exposed podcast where you can get the Nature Photographer as well as their other episodes, which they are feverishly putting out this year in their fourth season, which is pretty exciting for those guys. So, so thank you for joining us today and we will see you next time. 